what up? Welcome to another episode of the Oakland Warriors podcast. I'm Patrick, and the Warriors won a game. They successfully threaded the needle for one night, and that means that they both got the win, much-needed win, and they got James Wiseman some positive development minutes. He wasn't tied to the bench. He wasn't slumping his shoulders. He wasn't getting too mad at himself. So, I mean, that's positive. This doesn't obviously erase the last stretch of like 12 games or so where they've looked, for the most part, pretty bad. But there's 20-ish games left. Maybe they could trend in a positive direction. And to me, at this point in the season, hopefully we've hit rock bottom already and nothing will ever get worse than the Hawks' loss, than the Raptors' 53-point loss, because I don't know how much lower they can go than that. I mean, things won't be smooth sailing all the way through. They're not going to go on a 20-game winning streak, but at least they won't go further down than that. Fingers crossed. I just can't imagine anything worse than that. I mean, outside of something catastrophic. So whether or not they make the playoffs, the play-in game, or whatever, whether or not they don't, and they get a higher lottery pick. I mean, at this point, it's kind of moot, right? Because we're all looking towards next season and what we all really need. What would be our playoffs as Warriors fans is somehow making this season positive. And what does that mean? That means Steph is happy. That means Draymond's happy. That means in the end, regardless of what happens, they see potential for a future in the near future, next season. They may not be happy with not making the playoffs. They may not be happy with a short playoff run, but they need to see that. Another positive is, of course, James Wiseman continuing to show development. What he's been for the past 12 games, he can't continue to be that. I know he works hard, and I know he's trying, and in this game, he looked good. Things were very simplified. He showed his good touch. He's showing a better understanding and responsiveness on defense And he was rim running, setting his screens, whatever, pick and roll, all that stuff. Those are all positives. He was rebounding too. He got 10 rebounds. That is awesome. And there were good rebounds. He fought for rebounds. He was aggressive. He went after the ball. These weren't ones that just kind of fell into his hands. Props to him. And it also helps that he was matched up with Brooke Lopez, who's one of the worst rebounding seven-footers of the last 10 years. But when you're given that opportunity... Good to take advantage of it. So the Warriors got the win. The Bucks were without Giannis, which was huge because the way this game went, they probably would have lost if Giannis played. Hey, maybe uh, Giannis did Steph a solid. <laughs> he was like, you know, I'm going to sit this one out and you are going to get a win. Maybe? Maybe? No? No? Anyway. The Warriors did what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to take advantage of other teams when they're missing their star player, just like these other teams have taken advantage of the Warriors when they've been missing Steph and Draymond. That's how it goes. And this is how the Warriors will have to sneak in and work their way back into the playoff race, scrapping and getting those wins wherever the hell they can. I do have to say that watching other Warriors try to fill in for Steph when he was out and then watching... Steph play, it just makes you really marvel again at his shot-making ability. Like, literally, he is such an aberration. He is so good. His hand-eye coordination, his touch, 
it's so good that sometimes you can take it for granted, you know, that like your focus is on other things and that Steph is always going to be that guy doing that thing. But you blink and he has 41 points. I'm really, really, really going to miss that someday. And remember after he broke his hand when he was rehabbing, there was talk about like nerve damage in his left hand and everyone was like, oh God, what does that mean? Yeah, that that clearly was nothing. I said a couple of games ago that Draymond can score if he wants and he has the ability to, you know, at least some floaters, maybe a three, one out of three, maybe one out of four, one out of three and a half would be good. Uh, but he's been more willing to at least attempt shots and make teams kind of have to guard him. So that's a positive. I'm sure at some point he realized like, oh, this isn't the same team that I had before where I didn't have to shoot. I didn't have to score. But on this team outside of Steph, yeah, I kind of do. I mean, he took eight shots and that's totally fine with me. Like eight shots is, that's volume shooting for Draymond Green. Keep doing it, please. Because you're going to need to be a threat or at least have people think you might be kind of a threat next season. Like this narrative of Draymond just not being any kind of scoring threat that, I mean, that's going to hurt in the future. So that's something to keep an eye on. I think one of the goals for this season, whether it's the playoffs, play-in game, lottery pick, like I was saying before, one of the goals should be not to get blown out. One of the goals should be to keep momentum going in the forward positive direction. It should be to keep fighting, to kind of develop that identity so that these blowouts, yes, blowouts are happening a lot this season, probably because of the weird schedule, because of COVID, all this crazy stuff going on. But the blowouts the Warriors have had have been because of lack of effort, lack of skill, lack of basketball IQ, lack of focus. So that should be it. You know, they're going to lose a bunch more of these games and they're going to make it close towards the end of the season. But as corny as it sounds, those dudes should be striving to get like a, a freaking A for effort, you know, because that in this season on this team with all the BS swirling around in the media and on Twitter and everything that would actually get them really far along. And it's crazy because you look at how, again, COVID is affected so many of the teams in the league, the Celtics and stuff. But it's crazy how much COVID has affected James Wiseman. And it's kind of dictating the Warriors future, right? Because you think about it, like, of course, like everybody stopped playing basketball. Wiseman, that affected him because he left Memphis after three games in 2019. And then he didn't have like a whole year of working out, training in terms of like on-court stuff playing people, whatever, you know? So it just extended it. No summer league, uh, everything was pushed back from the summertime until the winter. That affected him that way. Then he tested positive for COVID, and then he missed training camp, like the one week of training camp that they actually had. And then he missed a COVID test, and then he missed some games because of COVID tracing. You know, these aren't excuses. These are just random thoughts it's like wow because also the effect of that is that like and i'm getting into hypotheticals because hypotheticals and what ifs are like the lifeblood of any sports fan right so the thing about wiseman is like it's slowed his development right and then that affects the warrior's future because all of a sudden like if his development as a 19 20 year old doesn't happen there will be more pressure for them to either move him 
move the Minnesota pick if they get it, just move out of the lottery and try to get someone like a more veteran player. Because the only players that could probably help right away in the top five of the draft are Cade Cunningham and Jalen Suggs, right? Cade Cunningham is going to be gone, barring a miracle. Jalen Suggs will likely be gone in the top three. So if the Warriors are in the fourth or fifth position and they get either the opportunity to draft Jalen Green or Jonathan Kaminga, awesome. Awesome. I would love either of those guys. But the optics, if Wiseman doesn't develop and then all of a sudden you're faced with this aging core and then like, oh gosh, we're going to develop another 19-year-old project who's not ready to contribute to a playoff, let alone a contending team. If Wiseman had developed a lot faster, he hadn't sat out so many games because of COVID and then, of course, his wrist injury, then they'd be like, oh, we have confidence that we can grow a player in our system pretty quickly and then he can contribute. And on that note, it's like, yes, if we get the fourth pick, we're taking Kaminga or Green or whomever. You know, I mean, that's how it goes, right? Because if they end on a bad note this season and Wiseman's just not there, Everyone, the fans, the media, who knows, maybe Steph and Draymond and Clay, they'll be like, yo, we can't do this again. But if everything had gone well, they'd be like, yeah, let's do it. We're an organization that can develop a 19-year-old into a contributing player in like three months. I do wonder, though, and I mentioned this before, I was texting with my friend Aram in Toronto, and it's like, if the Warriors get the fourth or fifth pick and their own pick lands in the top 10 somewhere... I do wonder if there is a team, if there is a team that would be in the top three of the draft and be willing to take those two picks in exchange for getting into the top three. So that's one thing to look out for if the Warriors feel that they can develop a 19-year-old. By the way, I was watching some Jalen Green highlights on Instagram or something, and that guy is crazy athletic. I mean, that guy is an amazing dunker, but he's so skinny. And I can just imagine, especially at like an off guard spot or small forward, whatever, like I can just imagine him having some highlights on offense, but just being a huge negative next season on defense. And that is 100% something that they would not be able to afford. I mean, he could get spot minutes as just a microwave scorer off the bench, but he wouldn't get meaningful minutes when it mattered. But then again, this might all be moot because now D'Angelo Russell is back for Minnesota and they beat the Sacramento Kings pretty, pretty well. You know, it wasn't a squeaker. I've always said the Timberwolves have talent. They're not a regular last place team. I mean, look, they have Carl Anthony Towns. They have the number one pick in Anthony Edwards. They have a dude in Malik Beasley who can just get a bucket. And they have D'Angelo Russell who I think is not the greatest point guard in the world. I don't enjoy his game, but he obviously did something to earn that max contract (laughs) besides being on the team that Kevin Durant wanted to sign with and (laughs) the Warriors not wanting to lose value for that. (laughs) So, hey, if Minnesota, if they dig out of the last place spot in the league to the second, third, or fourth, you know, they could be messing with the Warriors' uh, draft probability draft percentages in terms of getting the fourth or fifth pick. So, hey, if the Warriors end up with six, seven, or eight, eh, then, yeah, I mean, maybe they take that Minnesota pick and they take their own pick and they try to find somebody else. They won't get a star. 
at that point. But I'm sure there's a team where they could find a piece or two that would fit in this rotation that would be either a good defender, a good 3 and D guy, a good rebounder, something to fill in the hole. And one last thing, I will say I watched the NCAA final between Gonzaga and Baylor and those Baylor dudes, those those dudes look like football players out there. That was, those guys are good. And uh, I'm a fan of Davion Mitchell. But I wanted to say that Corey Kispert has not really impressed me. Again, he has a whole body of work from Gonzaga for years, and I did not watch him at all until this tournament. But there's a couple things. Like, if he is the leader of this team, one of the leaders, like elder leader or whatever, why didn't he just try to do more, you know? And he also looked like he was just outclassed. He wasn't as physical. He couldn't take the physicality. He looked a step slow. His shot, when it was off, it was like way off. I mean, I'm sure, obviously, he will find a spot in the NBA, but I don't know if he's worth a top 10 pick like some people have him. In terms of the Warriors, hell, like I'm sure they could get maybe a big body rebounder defensive presence around the 10 spot. You know, give or take a few spots. Yes, they need shooting, but hey, you get Clay back, you bring over Justinian Jessup. I mean, I think Jessup, from what I've seen, is better than Corey Kispert. He seems a little bit more physical, seems about the same size, and has a little bit more professional seasoning, of course. Who knows? We'll see how all the combines and workouts and all that stuff go. It'll be something as the season goes and the offseason goes. I'm sure we'll all be talking more about. Anyway, that's another episode of the Oakland Bridge Podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Feel free to hit me up on Twitter at Patrick Epino, E-P-I-N-O, or at Oakland Warriors. Check us out at OaklandWarriors.com, and be sure to tell your Warrior fan friends to have a listen. The Oakland Warriors Podcast is produced by National Film Society. Check us out on YouTube at YouTube.com slash National Film Society. And that's it. Music in this episode provided by Paper Sun. Special thanks to Paul Amardo for production support. See you next time, and go Dubs.